the whole podcasting space is effectively built on open standards, which, which themselves are fairly simple protocols, right? You yes. RSS feeds where people uh, tools can pull episodes and meta, meta information, HTML for the website that you create and JavaScript for the widget that you use to, to uh, embed mm-hmm. a podcast episode into something else. Essentially, the industry you're in and the tool you're building, all of this is built on open standards, on, on something that is simple by design, supposedly. Yeah. But at least simple because it's so well distributed and and ubiquitous. Yeah, I mean I think that the open standards are certainly bring more from a conceptual standpoint, they are a little bit more complicated to understand because people's frame of reference is the centralized standard. And yeah. I really experienced this with my daughter because um she's 20 now, but when she was 18, she was writing this report for me, the Gen Z kind of report on podcasting. That was a great one. And she's like, when we had a phone call and she's like, dad, I don't get it. Like, why are you so down on like all these central players? Like you seem to have a negative kind of feeling towards YouTube and Spotify. And what's, what's wrong with Spotify? Spotify's cool. Spotify's great. If I go to Spotify, it recommends podcasts. Like, isn't that a good thing? And I said, well, you're going to need some centralization for sure. But here's what's great about the distributed nature of podcasting is we're still pretty early in Spotify's cycle, but we've already seen how it affected artists. So Jack Conte of Pomplamoose tells this great case study of he was selling MP3s on iTunes And his band, it's a two-person band, and they're making about $150,000 a year on the band. And this is enough money for them to make music, to produce it, to put it in the world, for their fans to buy it. And they're full-time on the band. They're making a combined $150,000, and life is good. And then streaming comes along, and it it literally destroyed like 95% of that. And... The, the he's still selling the same thing. He's still selling music, but it was the centralization that ended up hurting him because everyone decided oh, I'm going to get my music through. The majority of people decided I'm going to get my music through Spotify and they just didn't have any other channels to reach their fans. There was no, there was no open st- And he went on to create Patreon to kind of create an alternative funding model. What, Open standards like RSS give creators optionality. So for sure, I think a lot of creators should be on YouTube because YouTube is a giant platform. It's a giant search engine. There's so many people watching and consuming video there. It's a great way to get your message out. But for sure, I don't want to rely on it. I don't want to have all my eggs in the YouTube basket because the story is always the same. Facebook convinces all these local businesses to build Facebook pages, get everybody to like their Facebook page. You know, you go to a shop and they've got a little sticker that says, like us on Facebook. They're giving up their email lists to go all on Facebook and just have Facebook likes. And then a couple years later, Facebook goes, oh, uh, now to reach your audience, you've got to pay for boosts. It's the same cycle. The entire structure of their economic model depends on it you're eventually going to get taken advantage of. Guaranteed, by the way. (laughs) 
So right now there's some YouTubers that are killing it, that love YouTube. Eventually, YouTube's going to do something that they don't like, or they're going to get demonetized, or they're going to get kicked off, or they're going to have an ad that they don't agree with, or YouTube's going to change the algorithm. YouTube's going to say, you know what? We're going to move away from creator-based algorithms, and we're just going to go to algorithms like TikTok. And TikTok doesn't care who the video's from. TikTok is just going to show the most viral content of that moment, which makes it harder for creators to build an audience. This is where it's going, for sure. Open standards, RSS, email, the web, these standards, they're messier, but because they're distributed... For sure, like Spotify and Apple would love to own podcasting, but they can't. They're they're in this battle where there's tension between them. You know, Apple's got 30%, Spotify's got 30%, YouTube's probably got another 20% or 30% or 40%. But they're all in this locked battle of, well, no one's going to own it. And as long as nobody owns it, creators own it. We have our RSS feeds. We can host them ourselves. We can forward them to a different hosting platform if we want. We can lock them down, but keep all of our subscribers. We can remove it from Spotify if we don't agree with their business practices. It gives us optionality. We can put ads in there. We can use bad language on there if we want. It gives us the freedom to do what we want and what we need. And it allows us to keep our audience. As long as people are subscribed to that RSS feed, no matter where you go, they can go with you. Yeah. The, on- the only thing we pay with is discoverability. Yes. Right? That's always been one of the biggest issues in podcasting to begin with, but also like people self-hosting their video. Nobody's going to watch it if they don't know where to find it. And the same goes for podcasts. Yeah, and this is what's strange to me is that we had this whole decentralization. It was almost like a cartoon decentralization movement with blockchain. It was like <laughs> all of these people were, were discovering decentralization for the first time. The mm-hmm. web has been decentralized before there was a web. Like yeah, right. Usenet groups... FidoNet on BBSs, all decentralized. DNS, decentralized. So the, the thing that runs all of the domains, domain names in the world is decentralized. It's just a bunch of... Re- every server has a list of you know all the domains and then where they point to. And it's distributed around the world. It's amazing it even works, right? And somehow Sometimes. in that system... And again... What, 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 here's the surprising part to me is whenever I point to these older systems like DNS uh, for discoverability, DNS, um, uh, I'm blanking, uh, torrent trackers, you know, there was uh, Usenet for sure, FidoNet for sure. These were old systems. Some of them were built three or four or five decades ago. And we never... It's like we just stopped that discovery and that curiosity. And then blockchain came along and then it just owned the conversation about decentralization. And even they weren't really focused on discoverability. And that's why you got all these centralized exchanges and centralized NFT marketplaces. It's like, if you're going to have an imagination of about decentralization, if you're going to put the smartest people in tech on a problem, why are we not doing any work on decentralized discoverability. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, it's impossible. And I'm like, well, it it feels like we have not been curious enough about it. And to me, it's not impossible because we had these rudimentary systems working. And even like, 
even if someone just decided to help improve DNS, right? So right now, DNS takes, you know, a couple hours to update, usually sometimes longer, 24 hours. Well, why have we not gotten curious as a tech community about how we can improve that, you know? And then the same kind of tech could be used for um, discoverability other way. And in some ways, you know, this whole movement to Mastodon is interesting to me because you have this decentralized model and again, limited discoverability, but it's there. Like I can search for your username, even if you're on a different server and it finds it pretty quick. So we just need to augment some of these existing models. And uh, to me, that's a way more interesting question than saying, let's continue to build up, you know, let's just find the next YouTube and the next Google and the next Spotify. I know venture capitalists love that. And maybe that's why we haven't gotten decentralized discoverability because venture capitalists will not fund it. Well, they, they, they want to fund it, but they want to fund one thing. And, and the problem with, with the centralized discoverability is that it has to be federated. Mm. And if something is federated, it has to be a connection between different entities that is willingly maintained, right? Yes. It's like, what, what do you say with Mastodon? You have all these servers and they have to federate with each other. That means that each server has to accept all these other servers as like agents of truth. Yeah. And if you, if you want to do that, if you want to fund that, well, now you have to fund a thousand people with a thousand different servers. That's, it's probably an incentive alignment problem because yeah. DNS probably the same thing. Like the companies or the, the nonprofits that run these servers, they have very little incentive to make it any better because, you know, like what, what's in it for them? It's, it's being used as it is. I, I think you're absolutely right. There's a problem there, but the problem might just as well be that trust. Again, like, yeah, kind of harkens back to what we said earlier, and, right? Everything is built on trust. Mm, yeah, same here. And, and the curiosity of just independent geeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> like, I guess. If, if you think well, about... They've been snatched away by the Facebooks of the world, right? That's a bit of a problem. They're pulled into these, these centralized companies as well. Yes. They have very, again, very little incentive to do any thinking about decentralized systems if the system they work for is a centralized one. Yes. And I think, I hope, this is why I've always held on to these ideals from the early web. You know, I grew up in, I, I turned 10 in 1990 and grew up visiting BBSs. And that whole system, you know, it, it was this beautiful system of people building some open source stuff, but then also stuff that you shareware that you would pay for. And each enabled the other in this nice, I mean, it wasn't perfect. <laughs> I've got a little bit of rose colored memory here, but <laughs> good days, <laughs> but it, it was, it, there was something nice about it. And if you look at the bootstrapped companies that have succeeded, MailChimp, ConvertKit, a lot of email companies, <laughs> Uh, a lot of podcast hosting companies that the top, uh, you know, Buzzsprout, Transistor, Captivate, Castos, uh, we're all independent companies. We're not big public companies. Um, a lot of the, and even look at Basecamp, built on open source and the open web, right? HTML, CSS, TCP, IP, all, all of the protocols. These open, old, crusty, open protocols have enabled so much commerce. Independent commerce 
it's like the bootstrap companies, why do the bootstrap companies gravitate to these kind of open, even like Tailwind. Tailwind is open source software, open source framework. And it's an incredible uh, independent business. Maybe one of the most profitable independent businesses ever created. You know, it's, it's incredible. Uh, Taylor's done the same thing with Laravel. Open source, open protocols, they generate um, opportunities for indie hackers, for bootstrappers, for solopreneurs. And this is why I think the, the geek community or you know the tech community, this is why we need to be uh, rallying for improvements and innovation in open standards. And we're, we're doing this in podcasting right now. We formed a podcast standards project uh, similar mm-hmm. to what Zeldman did with the web standards project back in the, it was probably in the 90s or whatever. Um, like they were petitioning these big companies, Microsoft, convincing Microsoft to adopt open web standards. We all benefited from that. And you know who else benefited from that? Basecamp <laughs> and Microsoft. Yeah, yeah. But Basecamp mm-hmm. benefited from the fact that you could visit Basecamp.com and sign up and use it in Internet Explorer, Firefox, whatever. Um, so I hope that we, we, we haven't had some of these movements in a while, you know, and we got really distracted by crypto and M- NFTs. It was like it had all of the energy of like building the open web again, but it was just not useful. <laughs> Uh, in, in a way that has shown itself. And I, I hope now that, you know, crypto is kind of down right now. Um, I hope that we can take some of that energy and bring it back to these things that actually give us value now. You're going to, it's very likely your next business is going to be a boring web app built on boring old open protocols, TCP IP, DNS, HTML, CSS. It's all old and boring. And we should be innovating on top of it. Wow. I could not agree more. Like, honestly, the the idea of open protocols to me has always said nobody can take the market away from me because mm-hmm. the protocol will always be there. Right. Yeah. The, that's the, the kind of anti Peter Thiel sentiment here. You cannot become a monopoly in this market. Like yeah. Tailwind couldn't become a monopoly because somebody else could build something different for yeah. different people and exist just as well. Nobody can buy the IP rights for TCP IP. Yes. That does not exist. That, yes. that cannot happen. So and, great, and it, great advice. And today, P- I'm sure there's, I mean, if Microsoft could have owned any of that, they would have, they would love to. <laughs> would have tried. And, yeah, again, absolutely. This is where, this is what's funny to me. Sorry, I, I, did one more tangent. <laughs> is I often get called, I, people say, Justin, you're too cynical and pessimistic about whatever. Elon Musk, crypto, venture capital, all these things. I want to critique. I want to critique people in power. I want to critique powerful companies. I want to do all that stuff. So if we're going to be cynical, here's what I don't like us being cynical about. Is I'll bring... so. I'll bring up this idea of like, oh, email. Email is this beautiful open standard that we all benefit from. And people say, well, but really, who owns email? Gmail, right? And sure, Gmail is a big part of the market. But you know what you can't do? Is you can't create, (laughs) 
You can't create a Spotify profile not on Spotify. You can create a hey.com email address. And there's probably thousands, maybe even more than, maybe 10,000 independent email service providers in the world that will give you a unique email that is not Gmail. You can host it yourself. You can put a machine under your desk and host your own email server if you want to. I wouldn't recommend it. So sure, you, you can be cynical about that, but it's still an open standard. Gmail is not charging you to for every e- a stamp fee for every email you send. And I guarantee you, if they started charging me a stamp fee, I would move somewhere else. The, these protocols are remarkably resilient to monopolies. So sure, Gmail has most of the market. There's still a lot of Hotmail addresses out there. There's still a lot of Yahoo addresses out there. There's tons of Outlook uh, addresses out there. Microsoft, you see the same tension of these big Goliaths and they all want to own the market. But even with Gmail's success, there's still Microsoft. They're pulling and holding the balance of power and independent nerds and smaller companies saying, you know what? I don't like the way Gmail does email and I'm going to start my own email company. And you can do that. Like those exist. And some of those independent email companies are doing quite well, you know? So the the cynicism I hear about, you know, those kind of standards, I'm like, and people will say, well, I don't even like email. I'm like, email is amazing for all of its faults and all of the mess it's actually beautiful. And the same criticisms you apply to email and spam email, it's I could apply it to YouTube comments. Like I get so much bullshit YouTube comments. I could apply it to Google Analytics results. You look through like your refers and you're like there's like 10 like spammy refers here that they haven't filtered out yet. It's everywhere whether it's centralized or non-centralized. So uh, I don't think open standards deserve the kind of cynicism they sometimes get. Uh, it's like, no, this is beautiful. Email's amazing. Arvid can have a list of all of his uh, you know, customers and fans, and he can, he can download it as a CSV and have it on his hard drive, even if, you know, even if MailChimp decides to go take it away or convert it or whatever, you get to That's hold exactly on to it. That's exactly what I did. Yeah. That's exactly what I did. Like I had my, my list on MailChimp. They wanted to charge me a lot of money. And I said, nope, yeah. took my list, went to ConvertKit. Exactly the, the route I took. And there was no friction because it was impossible for that friction to exist because the standard is there. Yeah. Right? It was, yeah, that's, it's, it's, a, it's a really good point. I, yeah. I think what you said earlier, like these, these systems, they generate opportunities for founders. Yes, yeah. that's, that's the the big big point here. I yeah. think. and with all the complexity of federation, and I, I guess email is a great example of that too. Mm-hmm. Like with the spam filters and like uh, the trustworthy domains, like that the big players are trying to push the smaller ones aside, right? Mm-hmm. Because they don't want to federate with them. Yeah, because it's not in their interest. But in in the end, if you you know if you build a solid system based on solid protocols you could still operate your own email server and communicate with people on gmail so yeah it's not a problem you just have to yeah. understand how the technology works yeah and the nerds at gmail by the way the nerds who are running those email servers fundamentally there's still these like these intrinsic values baked into these protocols so even if gmail is like ah we're not super stoked that a lot of people are switching to hey.com <laughs> 
the nerds at the G- at Gmail are still going to receive emails from Hey.com because the values are built in, you know? Anyway, that's probably enough on open standards, but I, I'm, I'm a, a big proponent of them. <laughs> and I think we've missed, again, crypto was a distraction, especially for indie hackers on um, where most of the value on the web has come from. And it's been <laughs> the open web open standards. We've all benefited from it. Every bootstrap company has benefited from it. And uh, we should be investing more in it as, as independents.